The text for this afternoon's worship service is from Luke 18, verse 8, the last part. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 27, the stanzas 1 and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the whole month of December is traditionally a month of reflection and anticipation. The time before the celebration of our Lord's birth is known on the Christian calendar as the time of Advent. Advent is a time of sober reflection on one's own preparedness for the second coming of Christ. It is a time of preparation for the final day of judgment, uh, looking forward to Christ to come once more in the flesh, this time in victory, and with a purpose to unite heaven and earth and to glorify those who belong to him. Those who are not written in the book of life will be banished from the earth and thrown forever into the lake of fire. During the Middle Ages up until the Reformation, the month of December was celebrated in a most serious way. For it had become the custom to make that a time of fasting, of prayer, and of daily church attendance. During this time, no marriages were allowed to be solemnized, the organ and the churches were to be silent, and the church buildings were decorated in the somber color of purple. Of course, today we no longer have those practices. As we saw this morning, since the Reformation, these customs are no longer in place in the Reformed Church. We now also stand at the threshold of a new year. In a few weeks, we will be reflecting on what has happened in the year which is about to expire and anticipate the new And also now we must ask ourselves, is it possible that Christ will come to earth during that year for a second time? Will the coming year be the year of the last judgment? Will that be the year we will meet our maker? Are we prepared for it? Are we properly preparing ourselves for that final day? The text of this afternoon confronts us with these questions. For that is what Christ is after in this text. He asks a most important question. He asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He asks that question because he knows how it was with God's covenant people with Israel. Israel was not prepared for his first coming. Year in, year out, they claimed to be waiting for the Messiah. But when he did come, they did not recognize him. They did not believe that Jesus of Nazareth, he was a stranger to them. They did not believe that he was the Messiah, nor that he was the Son of Man. They did not believe, in spite of the fact that they were in all the prophecies concerning his coming. For they had the Bible. They had the whole Old Testament. 
And they would tell you that they believed every word of it. Why is it then that they were so unprepared for his first coming? And thus, the Lord Jesus asks this question of the believers who stand before him now. But note well that he does not answer that question. He wants the believer, he wants you to give the answer. He asked the question after he gave the parable of the persistent widow and the judge. The parable depicts a widow who never gives up. She perseveres. She keeps her faith in spite of great odds. Christ gave that parable as a result of the conversation he had with the Pharisees and subsequently with the disciples about the last days. He tells them not to be like the Pharisees who have no idea of what persevering in the faith is all about. He wants to teach us. And so let us listen to the preaching of God's word as I've summarized it on the following theme. Christ urges the believer to prepare for his second coming by persevering in the faith. Then we will look at two things, the nature of such perseverance and, secondly, the reward of such perseverance. Let me state that again. Christ urges the believer to prepare for his second coming by persevering in the faith. The nature of such perseverance and the reward of such perseverance. As I said, the question which Christ asks in the text is a response to a question from the Pharisees. For they asked him when the kingdom of God was coming. They asked that question from him, not out of faith, but only to see whether they could trip him up. That's all the Pharisees were interested in, for the question about the coming of the kingdom of God did not really occupy them too much. And that was because they were sure that they of all people would be part of that kingdom. They did not see that there was not anything wrong, that there was not anything wrong seriously in their own lives. It did not even enter their minds that they would not be part of God's kingdom. And for that reason, Christ does not answer their question. At least he does not answer them directly. He does not give them any date. He does not want to do that, for the kingdom of God is only for those who are part of that kingdom by true faith. It must be a spiritual reality. The Pharisees lacked that. They did not have true faith. And Christ comes with a somber warning to all those who do not believe that for them his second coming will be a most terrifying event. It will be for them like the days of Noah. At that time, everybody was going about his business, oblivious to the danger signs. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and being given in marriage. Until the flood came and destroyed them all. They were destroyed along with the rest of the world. They missed the boat. They were not on the ark. Only Noah and his family was. Why? Why was only Noah and his family spared? For no other reason than that they had true faith. That is why Noah was not taken by surprise. He had prepared himself for the flood. He believed God and acted in accordance with that faith. 
he put his faith into action and built the ark. He did not doubt that the destruction of the world through water was coming. Noah, of course, did not have to wait too long for that to happen, for he knew that the destruction was at hand. The Lord had told him so. He knew, therefore, that he would not have to wait all that long, and indeed he didn't. It happened during his lifetime. But for the church, after the death of the Lord Jesus, that was a different thing altogether. No doubt you agree. For how long has it been since the church of God has been waiting for his second coming? It has been some 2,000 years. Many hundreds of thousands Advent sermons have been held during that time. Also, during your lifetime, you will have heard many such sermons. We have heard many a sermon about the coming day of judgment. Many Christmases and New Year's have come and gone. Year in, year out, it is the same old thing. And there is no change, so it seems. There is still all that misery here on earth. There is still much suffering. There is still death and destruction. And the church in the various corners of the world continues to be persecuted, as has happened throughout the ages. How many martyrs have not died for the faith during those 2,000 years? And the church has been praying for a long, long time for the new age to be inaugurated. When will you come again, O Lord? When is there going to be an end to this sinful world? When is the new earth coming, which you promised? Come, Lord, come speedily, do not delay especially those under the persecution would have sent up many, many prayers like that to God. And that has been the prayer of the church throughout the ages. Yet, there may be those in our midst who have doubts about the claim of Christ and of his second coming. The church has been praying for so long. Are we fooling ourselves? Is it all a cruel hoax? Is he going to come again? Such a question is, of course, not asked in faith. It is asked in unbelief. But is it any wonder, you may say, for there is a lot of uncertainty here on earth. That is why there is so much fear and anxiety. What's going to happen to this country? What's going to happen to the rest of the world? Not so long ago, things looked a little bit more promising. Communists lost their stranglehold over Eastern Europe. Now things look uncertain again. Nationalism, racism, neo-Nazism, Islamic fundamentalism, and all kinds of other terrible isms threaten once more the stability of the world. And now our hopes are being dashed. And the same thing holds true for our personal lives. We have our hopes and our dreams, but how often do our plans pan out? There is no security. At any time you can lose your job or your health or your loved one. We have no secure basis on which to build our lives. It is for that reason that the question that the Lord Jesus asks is most pressing. For he knows the kinds of uncertainties that man faces every day. He knows the kinds of things that they have to go through. 
And that is why the question he asks is all the more important. But he asks that question only after he gives us a parable about the unrighteous judge and the widow. For that widow is a lot like the church. The church, like the widow, has to learn to be patient, not to lose heart. For that widow had a matter on her heart which weighed heavily. She had been treated very badly and was seeking justice. And she persisted in the matter. She would not be put off by the unrighteous judge. She kept on badgering him until he finally gave in. For what was the case? The widow was without protection. She had lost her husband, her Lord. And now she had no one to stand up for her rights. She was very vulnerable. The Lord Jesus does not tell us exactly what her present difficulty was. But it is clear that whatever it was, it was very pressing on her. It could be that someone tried to force her out of her own home because the mortgage was being foreclosed, for example. Or it could be for another reason. Whatever the case, she was being treated unjustly. And then she goes and puts herself under the protection of a prominent judge who has jurisdiction over her. And this widow goes there full of hope. But the judge will not even hear her case. To him she is nothing more than a lowly widow. Helping her would in no way advance his own cause. He does not want to be bothered with a trivial case such as hers. But day after day, this widow goes back. And it is only because of her persistence that the judge finally gives in. He gives in because, according to the text, he does not want to be worn out by her continual coming. In actual fact, according to the original language, it says that he does not want to get a black eye. It's another way of saying that he is afraid for his own reputation. He does not want his reputation tarnished. And that pesky widow, by her continual coming, is about to do that. And other people are beginning to notice. Only for that reason does he give in. According to the introduction to this parable, the lesson to be learned from this parable is that the believer ought always to pray and not to lose heart. The Lord will hear you when you call upon him. Be like that widow. Do not give up. But that is the only aspect which we may compare. For do not think, beloved, that the Lord expects us to compare the unrighteous judge to our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven is not an unrighteous judge. On the contrary, therefore, Lord, Jesus is actually saying, when you come to God in prayer, do you think that he will not hear you? For do you think that the Lord your God is an unjust God, an unjust judge? Do you think that he is some cheap politician who is interested only in helping when it suits his own career? Nothing is farther from the truth. The Lord your God is trustworthy. He will not let you down. If there is anywhere where you will find justice, it is around his throne. For he will protect his church, his bride. He will protect his bride to the end of days. He will protect her without fail. 
And so, in that sense, the church is not like the widow. She is his bride. The widow must throw herself at the mercy of others, but Christ has Almighty God as her husband. There are no uncertainties for her, for the church has the perfect husband. He will always fulfill his promises. He will never disappoint his bride. He will never be unfaithful to her. He will certainly listen to his bride. She is so precious to him, for he has bought her with his own blood. But that is something that you must believe. For the Messiah did come. And yet his own people did not recognize him. For thousands of years, for thousands of years, the Old Testament church has been waiting for the Messiah. And there were many ways in which he lived in that expectation. The Lord God had instituted yearly feasts, such as the Passover to point to the coming of the Paschal Lamb. And he had instituted the many sacrifices in the temple to point to the unique sacrifice on the cross. And he had spoken to his people through the prophets to tell them of his coming. And the Old Testament church waited and waited. They knew the prophecies. They even knew where he was to be born. For it was the scribes and the chief priests who pointed the wise men from the east to Bethlehem. That is where the Messiah was to be born. They knew all the prophecies concerning the Messiah. They knew that the Messiah would be born in the flesh, that he would be a son of man. They waited for his birth. They waited to find out which woman would be so favored by God that he would be born from her. They believed God. Or so it seemed. And yet, it is sad to see that they did not really understand the prophecies concerning him. They did not realize the significance of his name, Son of Man. Oh, sure, they knew about the prophecies of the Son of Man, as given in Daniel. They knew about that glorious passage. It was a passage that filled them with pride and with hope and with great expectations. For what does it say? Daniel writes in chapter 7, verse 13 and following, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so no wonder they were eagerly awaiting that Son of Man. For that Son of Man would vindicate the people Israel. He would show the world how great they are. And that Son of Man is from their nation. He would usher in the new age. He would come as a great king in the name of the Lord. But surely, that Son of Man cannot be him who now stands before them, that Jesus of Nazareth, for that man has the audacity to identify himself with that figure. That is something the Jews did not understand. 
for that Jesus of Nazareth did not seem like such a great man to them. He is of no account. Who is he? He cannot be counted among the great. He was not born in some castle. He was born in a stable, the son of some poor people. His father was a mere carpenter. He could never be that son of man of Daniel. No way. The Jews expected that son of man to be a powerful figure who would take up arms and defend the nation of Israel against the Roman intruders. He would be greater than David and Solomon. He would restore the fortunes of their great nation and throw off the Roman yoke and win the great victory. He would make Israel great. He would make all the Israelites great. Is that not what the prophecies meant? But who is this man who stands before them? Some carpenter's son. That cannot be that son of man mentioned in Daniel. And now we may ask ourselves, would we make that same mistake? Is it not understandable that they do not believe him? Would we not be as blind? I hope not, brothers and sisters. For do you know why the Pharisees are so blind? They do not recognize the Son of Man because he reminds them of his own, of their own loneliness, of their own lowliness. He reminds them of their own insignificance. He reminds them of how sinful they are. They do not recognize him because they do not realize that in order to be exalted, you must first be humbled, totally humbled. And that is abhorrent to the Pharisees. They want to give credit to man's ability, to man's ability to climb up to God. Do you know when you will recognize him, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? There's only one way. Humble yourselves. Know what a sinner you are. What a sinner you are. Know how far you have fallen from grace. Fully realize the tremendous chasm that exists between you and God. It is a gap which is ever-widening, unsurmountable. And once you realize that, beloved, then you will recognize him. For then your eyes will be open to the reality of how badly you need that Redeemer. And then you do not need to seek Him, but then He will have found you. And then His second coming will not be a surprise. For then you will know that Savior. And therefore, examine yourself. Do you think that you belong to God's people because you deserve it? Because you have chosen for Him? Because you have exercised your faith? Or because God has come to you? Do not be like the Pharisees in that regard. Don't think that you are better than anyone else. But learn how the Scriptures prophesy about you. Learn why Christ came in the first place. He came to save sinners. He did not come to save the self-righteous. And in that state of mind, wait for his second coming. 
And there is a great reward if you wait for him in that way. We come to our final point. There may be those among us who are not so taken in by the question that the Lord Jesus asks in this text. For the question which he asks is not all that interesting to us. We're busy with other things, aren't we? We have other questions. Young people ask, what's going to happen in my life? Will I ever get married? When? To whom? How many children will I have? Will I own my own home? Where will I live? What kind of job will I have? Others ask, will there be war during my lifetime? Will my children be happy? Will I see my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren? What will be the circumstances of my death? And so there are many questions that occupy us. And these are important questions. And yet, one question must come first. And that is the question of this text. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Do not think that the Lord Jesus asks this question out of curiosity. Or because he is afraid that it will that there will no longer be any believers here on, on earth when he comes back. He knows that there will be. And he knows how many will be saved. He knows his own. He also knows that there will never be a time when there is no one on earth to serve him. Some have thought that the Lord Jesus asks this question out of disappointment. They say that he is disappointed even in his disciples. For even they do not understand his mission Here he is, almost at the end of his life on earth, and so few have accepted him. Will I find people with faith on the earth, he now asks. But don't believe that for a moment, that that was his motivation, beloved. Do not think that the Lord Jesus asks this question out of morbid pessimism. That is not the state of mind of the Lord Jesus, for elsewhere he prays to the Father, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safely by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. John 17, verse 12. Why then does he ask that question? Well, beloved, in order to encourage us to have faith, in order to encourage us so that we do not give up as we wait for his coming. He asks us in order to provoke us to a life of faith, a life full of expectation for his second coming. And then you may say, but that is so hard. Waiting for him is so difficult. There are so many things that keep me busy. I would rather think about other things. That's a lot more pleasant. For I'm not very sure of myself. I do not know why I have what it takes to be saved. There are so many sins in my life. I cannot overcome my shortcomings. I am not sure if I could be ready for his coming. I realize the seriousness of Advent preaching. My knees knock when I think about it. I'm so afraid. But then, brother or sister, this question is designed especially to help you. For that is the kind of heart that the Lord Jesus is looking for. For now there is only one thing to do, and that is to go on your knees and to admit to the Lord God, I am not ready, Lord. 
Everything is lacking in my own life. I have no redeeming qualities. And therefore, O Lord, I come to you for help. O Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if that is how you humble yourself before him, then the Lord will also hear you. For unlike the unrighteous judge, he is eager to hear you ask him to come to you. He is eager for you to assert your rights on the basis of the blood of his son. He is waiting for every man to come humbly before him. He is waiting for you with open arms. And he will not turn you away. Knock, and it will be opened. Indeed, the Lord will hear you when you come knocking at his door. For he loves you, and he wants you to enter. He does not want you to see yourself as a sinner any longer because of the blood of Christ. Do you know how the Lord God sees you, brother or sister, boys or girls? He sees you as someone who is precious in his sight. That's why he sent his son. Don't doubt that, beloved. Listen to him. But now let us turn that question around for a moment. Will it be the other way around that you will hear the Lord your God when he calls you? Do you hear him? Do you listen to him when he speaks to you? For it cannot be a one-way street, beloved. God also wants you to listen to him and to hear him. God again comes to you this afternoon with his word. It is the voice of him who shall come to judge the living and the dead. What is your answer to him? Shall he continue to find faith in you in the month of December, in the new year? Will you persevere in the faith? Or will you, when adversity strikes, turn your back on him? Or will you, when you are called to examine yourself and look at your own sinfulness, harden yourself in your sin? Are you truly a man? Are you truly a woman of faith? Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you willing to see yourself through God's eyes as a special covenant child of his? Do you believe in him? Do you have faith, a persistent faith, Ask yourself, when the Son of Man comes, will he find that kind of persevering faith in me? How will you answer that question, brother or sister? Amen.